Who's this? Oh, you're an entrepreneur? Oh, you're a real estate investor. Oh, you're trying to learn from those who did it. Well, come into the lab then. Put your white coat on, gloves on, notepad, and let's build y'all. Real Estate Experiment, what is happening, y'all? Today, we have the pleasure of having Lisa Hilton in the lab with us. Lisa, welcome to the lab. We are super overdue. I know we've been talking about connecting. You know, we talk about the importance of social media. That is where we did, our, our, our path did cross, but uh, I certainly did not want to let the serendipity go to waste because you have a very respectful background uh, with you being, again, the Level Up Real Estate Investment Podcast host. And um, of course, you are a syndicator, you're uh, a real estate investor as well, and you have a specific niche where you are specifically uh, looking for women to invest uh, with you as well. But you do have a really unique background uh, where uh, you actually come from the private equity side as a controller in the corporate mm -hmm. world, and you kind of made that transition, which I'm very excited to, to hear about. So first of all, welcome to the lab. What is going on? Dialing in from Los Angeles. What's up? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, so yeah. Absolutely. So so let's talk about so now it, it seems that you've kind of transitioned most recently. So if you and I, you know, if I take that flight to LA and I cross path with you in the airport and I meet you and I greet you and I say, hey, what do you do for a living? Or like, what, what, what you know, what, what keeps you busy? How do you introduce yourself these days? Yeah, so I introduced myself as a real estate investor, real estate syndicator. Um, I think I probably need to get better at um, introducing myself, but typically I'll say I'm a real estate syndicator. And then if people push further, I'll say, oh, you know, I'm a real estate investment manager. So I manage investing in real estate. So that's what mm. I do. Mm. Mm. Okay, so if I were to follow up on that, I'd be like, okay, excellent. So, you know, I know you have a pretty interesting story because uh, you, you know, real estate investing, part of what we talk about in a lab is the reason why we even have this show is because there's real estate, which is this huge umbrella. And then it's like, okay, underneath those pillars, like what kind of real estate are you investing in? Right. Uh, what would you then tell that person? Yeah. So I invest specifically in commercial real estate and diving deeper. My specific focus is multifamily. I do also like other asset classes. Um, self-storage, primarily mobile home parks, secondly, um, and industrial. Those are the three others that I also like as well. But my primary focus at the moment has been multifamily. Okay, excellent. So uh, multifamily. Now, within in itself, multifamily, there's mm -hmm. another layer deeper of That's like right. class, class A, class B, class C. So talk to us about your what you typically go for. And then when you say real estate investor, someone asks, are you running your own fund? Are you a mm -hmm. passive investor? What, what, where do you go there? Cause I know you've had experiences in both actually primarily yeah. you've had a lot of passive and as well, you've had your own as a GP as well. So um, when you're doing this, when you're investing or you're syndicating, what kind of asset class are you typically pulled towards within the multifamily umbrella? Yeah. Great question. So for me, I think it really starts with teams. Um, so a large part of my journey of um, I'm very conservative by nature. So I do like a lot of B and B plus. Mm -hmm. I like to play in the B space, but I will play in like an A minus as well as a C, C plus space. However, across the board, it really comes down to team. So when I am looking at, 
you know, partnering with sponsors. Um, and this now comes to the second part of your question. Like I can partner with sponsors as a GP, code GP. So I'll come in on their team. I'll do like maybe um, fractional CFO work with my CPA type background. So looking at analysis, you know, on, on numbers, month over month changes, looking for trends, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, in addition to sort of raising capital and bringing capital to the deal, or I might just create my own entity and come in as a limited partner into their deal. Um, and typically that's like a fund of fund structure, also known as a special purpose vehicle. So investors are then investing into my entity and then ultimately one entity then goes into the operator. Uh, in situations like that, typically you're bringing in larger amounts and then can negotiate better terms. And the spread is where, you know, the fund manager is able to then make their compensation. So that's pretty much, you know, sort of how it works. So yeah. Absolutely. I love that you went to that detail. So now I want to circle back a bit because I love that you you, you kind of hinted it in there in case you don't know, you're, you do have that CPA background and you work for some respectable firms like KPMG, PwC for yeah. quite some time. Um, so tell us about that transition as to what kind of gave you that little insight. I know there's it possibly was within your corporate experience. You saw a little something about funds, private equity funds. Like what was that? What happened? Yeah. What kind of planted that seed or was it also externally you're interested and, or it fell into it collectively? Yeah. Great question. So my story with real estate, well, funds, I'd always been in funds, you know, mm. um, I started my career in funds with PwC in Grand Cayman. Um, and honestly, I didn't have a choice. Like in Grand Cayman, there's pretty much three industries. It's funds, insurance captive, which are funds that, that invest in insurance companies. Mm. Or um, the third one is banks. So either you were working on, you were doing bank audits, auditing banks, or you were auditing insurance captives, which are those funds that invest in insurance companies, or you were auditing regular funds, hedge funds, mutual funds, fund of funds, all of that stuff. So I didn't really have a choice. I started in funds because that's what was there. And I, I spent, um, I was in Cayman for four years. I then went to Boston for another four years, also doing more funds, alternative funds. So lots of hedge funds, more of everything like hedge funds, venture capital, private equity, a whole nine yards. Um, and then came out to LA and I spent my last two years with the firm out here. So a total of 10 years um, in public accounting. So more funds. Uh, working for a fund manager out here on a variety of different fund vehicles, and then eventually left to go work for a fund manager. So I left public accounting to go work as a controller at a fund shop that raises funds. Um, and they were doing private equity funds, credit funds, and real estate funds. Um, and then I was a controller on their private equity real estate vehicles. So I did that. And it was during that time. So along the way, my father, so backing up some real estate connection. So I grew up in a real estate family. My father was a contractor. He built 14 apartment units when I was a child. Oh. By the time I got to middle school, he was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Oh. Um, and by the time I got to college, it took his life. Um, but because he made those investments early in the process that enabled my family to continue to take care of him and move forward because my parents were not like high dollar white collar workers, you know, they were blue collar workers. 
Um, and but because he made those investments, it sort it definitely helped wow. him. Uh, and then when I came out of college, I was working in Cayman. As I said before, I bought my first place, two bedroom, two and a half bath townhouse. And I bought it because I loved it. Once again, my parents were in real estate, but they didn't really say, oh, real estate is a way to go or entrepreneurship or business. It was like, no, go to school, get a good degree, get a good job. Don't nothing else. And that's what I did. Um, I went to school, did all the good stuff, got a good job all of that great stuff came out, bought my first place and I bought it because I loved it. I walked into the place, loved it. I don't, I, I think most Americans are buying places because they love them. It's yeah. not because like, Oh, I'm trying to make money. And then is after that, I now, bought is, it. Is, yeah. Would you say that that's, I, I do want to stop you there. Is that right or wrong? Is... So, you know, I think that I learned a lot of lessons from that experience. Um, and I would say that, um, for someone who's out there that's listening today and they're thinking, hmm, you know, I did buy my place and I bought it because I just, I love that place. You know, I think that you have to keep in mind that when you're buying, especially when you're buying real estate, um, when you're buying for personal reasons or for personal purposes, it doesn't always translate as a really good investment. Um, it can, but many times it doesn't. And if it does, awesome. You've hit the jackpot, but many times it doesn't. And for me, when I was starting, like I didn't really know and I just bought it and then I rented it and it broke even the first year, which was a key that it was not a good investment. Um, and then every year after that, it lost money. So by the time I came to LA, I had that property for about five or six years. It had been losing money for five years. And I said, you know what, this has got to go. Like I can't. I how much how much anymore. are we talking by losing money we're talking a couple like, hundred bucks or like a couple of... 100 200 and a then month? a month yeah so that's like me floating the property because the most i was getting in rent was like 13 to 1400 a month mm -hmm. and i had a mortgage for about a thousand dollars and then this property was it was in a condo association so it had strata fees oh yeah <laughs> no <laughs> oh, yeah stop <laughs> it had strata fees so uh, the strata fees were like five hundred dollars so like yeah like and those, that just those ate don't up ever, all the those cash don't ever flow. go down do they no they don't they only no, go they up. don't and you don't have any control over them because like you're in a property with other people and if they think if everyone votes for an increase because they want more reserves, then, you know, you're out of luck. <laughs> uh, I hope we're all listening to this. Okay. So, so I'm, I'm kind of curious though. I got to stop you for a second, Lisa is, you know, you talked about your father at 14 apartments. Yeah. I'm kind of curious is, as this kind of ever occurred to you that, you know, don't do as I say, do as I do. Like, was there ever that, Hey, but how, how come, you know, you bought those 14 or how come, like, was there ever, did that ever hit you at all? Or like, maybe I should kind of replicate or it was just kind of like, no, this is, this is how, you know, this is how yes. they did it. So it never hit me about replicating until I moved to LA. I will never forget. I want to say two years into moving to LA, I had a dream one day and I, I dreamt that the house that my parents had bought built behind these apartments, that that house should be like apartments. And I remember telling my, my, my mom at this point, and she was like, ah, yeah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> That's a lot of work. I'm not doing that. Um, so, you know, 
And even now to this day, like I, I've thought about it, even when I was thinking about like my next chapter in terms of what I wanted to do. Um, but ultimately, you know, dealing with family, I think it's better when everyone's on the same page um, and not everyone is on the same page for that particular expansion. So I said, you know what, it's not time for that right now. I'm going to do something else in the meantime. And then eventually I feel like it will be the right time. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I appreciate the context. So I, I really like kind of tying it together because it's always interesting to see where, where someone came from, right? Yeah. Uh, now I want to fast forward again back to the corporate because uh, you mentioned a few things that are very interesting. You talked about funds, there's credit, there's real estate, there's, you talk about insurance. I mean, there's so many. Uh, which one do you feel in the corporate or I should ask this, do you feel that the way they run funds in the corporate world or, mm-hmm. you know, with institutions, is it very similar to the way um, syndicators or is it similar to the way you run your funds today or is it very, very different? Um, it is similar a bit, but it's like funds on steroids because like you're just talking about way more zeros. And you're also dealing with more structuring because once you bring foreign investors into the mix, you just have structuring that's on steroids as well in order to help them with taxes and everything of that nature. But it definitely gives you a foundation. Come like So when I approach syndication, it's like way... Um, it's way simpler. Right. <laughs> this is like... It's like vanilla ice cream. Yeah. When you say when you say structure, Lisa, mm-hmm. can you just for those of us who are not familiar with what that might mean, can you yeah. in, in give us a little bit more detail of like <laughs> what structure? I mean, it's yeah. not a fun word to say, and it's not even like uh, it's definitely not an easy process. And I'm glad you talked about international. So, what is that? Just for yeah. So, terms? lots of different entity entities. So, like when you think about like a like a structure chart, hopefully that lands for people. So we would always have structure charts for funds and there would be like a gigantic web in terms of like all the blockers that are set up and like read structures that are set up to help clean the money um, as it moves up the structure. So that way it's not taxed or it's very tax friendly. So this is all to help with just cleaning it up for taxes. So that way investors don't have to have a big tax burden once the money gets to them. Um, So all of that structuring requires a lot of accounting work, Um, a lot of creative accounting work, a lot of Excel to make sure that you're allocating stuff correctly. If you have different investors coming through different blockers, different entities, Um, And all of these are like LLCs that are created, but like each of them, the blockers are typically set up with a loan and and I'm going to get, I don't want to go too deep because this is getting a little bit technical, but like they're all set up with like loan and interest. So that way, so for investors, when you're getting um, an interest payment and a principal repayment, like those things are taxed less Mm. than say an equity distribution. So this then helps them to like start getting money from the investment um, without having to pay taxes. These are the foreign investors. So all of this stuff requires a lot of structuring 
legal structuring, tax people who are helping with all the different jurisdictions that these investors are coming in from to make sure that they set them up in the right kind of structure for them and consider everything that is needed. Wow. So, yeah. so while you're doing that at work, or at least helping as a, you know, again, you've worn many different hats, but you were also a controller. Yeah. Uh, did you also uh, simultaneously start becoming a passive investor? Is that what was that yes. the first stepping stone? Yeah. So fast forward after I sold that property and came in, I said, no more real estate. I'm done. Finished. And I think the universe had a sense of humor because a year after I said that, I ended up leaving to go take a job working at this fund shop as a real estate controller, as a controller on private equity real estate funds. And, and can you, and I'm sorry, can you give yeah. us a little bit of context, what a controller is? Because I know I'm in the, yeah, I'm in the yeah, space, yeah. but what does a controller do just so we can connect um, in the lab? It's really nice to understand, okay, these are some skill sets I could take from here. Sure. I think sometimes people don't realize they can take that and maybe transfer it over. And I'm sure that you were able to do a little bit of that or, or a lot of it. So sure. a controller, what does a controller really do at a high level? Yeah. So controllers control. <laughs> so they're controlling the money. They control like the cash. So the cash flow in terms of creating bank accounts, setting them up, um, the structuring that I spoke about earlier, like helping the administrator, the fund admin um, to set up the all of the accounting for all the different entities to make sure that everything is all set to go, um, making distributions out to once, you know, properties are kicking off cash flow, making out distributions, looking at your fund and sort of saying, okay, how much money do you have? What, when you're looking at your fund model, because all of these funds will, they'll put together like a fund model. The fund model, what it does is it just sort of shows, okay, these are the investments that we're planning on buying. This is how the cash is going to kick, get kicked out to us. This is the needs for cash. So that way, as a controller, you're reviewing that, you're looking at that to, to determine, okay, I'm going to need to start calling for cash next month from investors. So you're then putting together like your proposal to the portfolio manager to say, hey, this is how much we th I think we're going to need to have. This is how much we're going to need to call. They review it. Um, and then you set up the letters. So it's a full on like everything, but you're managing people. So you're managing your administrators to make sure that they're producing all the stuff. So then on a quarterly basis, we're also providing um, reporting to investors because investors want to know how their money is doing. Um, so they will get their partnership statements that shows, okay, during the quarter, we called this amount from you. We made these kinds of distributions. This was the PNL coming off. This is what, what we're anticipating the value of these investments look like right now. So your money at the end of the day, whatever you've invested, this is the value if we were to sell things today. So they feel like as they definitely have a way more transparency and your question earlier about like the difference between syndication and these leagues is like completely different story because like up like in the institutional space, you have to be providing a lot of information to investors and they will ask you a lot of questions. And then you have to be answering, you know, about like how values moved, like why did the value on this particular investment move this quarter? Like what was some of the things that were driving it? So then- uh yeah. So you, you know, these well, kinds right. of things. Yeah. Yeah. So, so a lot of, yeah. a lot of information to understand. And then on top of that, you know, you have property level financials, you're not doing them. 
but the property is. So we're typically needing to analyze that data to understand is the property holding on to money that they should be pushing up to us. And like, if they are holding on to that money, like, why are they holding on to it? So like being able to help. So you're really helping the portfolio management team because they're out there chasing another deal or, you know, the asset manager, like sort of helping and they they'll look into this stuff as well. It just depends on who's managing that particular asset. So, yeah. Wow. So there's I mean, a lot of work. It's very intense, very so detailed. Does this then make syndication for you like a piece of cake, Lisa? Well, <laughs> you know, for from from the perspective of doing the, this similar type of work for syndication, yeah. of course. But the role that I play in syndication is a little bit different. So yes, I can play that kind of role, which is a fractional CFO type work, but like, I also play a different hat, which is I raise capital and that is a completely different skill set. Mm-hmm. And that is also in the big, in, in the corporate space as well. Like we definitely have people who are raising capital for these funds. They are raising like a billion dollar fund. So it's a whole different story. What what so are those guys called? Is that and like what is their role for that? Do you know in the corporate world? I love, yeah, I investor relations, that. investor relations. And what is there? Are you just f- dining people out and taking them out and like? Yeah, like, yeah, what is yeah, it? yeah. Is it actually- they, I, I don't know what it is per se because I didn't work in that role. But I work with them because they would always come to us when investors have questions. So like, if they have questions about any of the numbers they'll be like, okay, let's go get the controllers involved. They'll, they'll help to answer this question. That's fascinating. So, yeah. so, mm-hmm. so what would you say has been the biggest challenge for you? Cause now you're wearing a whole different hat. You have to start uh, creating these investor relations in your new role. Uh, and I guess we could talk about it as whether you're a co or your general partner. Now you have to raise capital. Yeah. Uh, you're smiling as I'm asking this question. <laughs> what has been kind of the biggest challenge for you? transitioning into that and give a little bit of perspective for us listeners so they understand yeah okay so biggest challenge is moving from the biggest challenge has been a couple things one is connect but they're all connected to the same kind of seed and that seed is you know when you are working in corporate america like you are your value is sort of like execution and it's work. It's like taking action and doing the work and getting stuff done. Um, And then I now have moved, like I've chosen that I don't want to, to just be in corporate America. Like I want to like build a business. So now you go from that to like being somewhat like a, uh, a player, like someone who is like, helping building teams and like understanding that you can't do everything yourself. So like you have to like hire other people to help you. Um, and you have to get really clear on like what you're good at. Whereas in corporate America, I feel like as though the message was never about like, what are you really good at? It was more about like, how can you get good at everything? Like, how can Mm. you like, get more efficient and more effective um, at just all of the things that you're doing like really fast. Um, So that might be like creating systems and stuff like that. And not all the time were you in a position where you could hire 
Um, so that meant you needed to get better at faster. at like what you're doing, like using Excel more efficiently and stuff like that. Yeah. So I I love what you're saying because, you know, I've been on both sides and, um, it's interesting though. I didn't, I didn't quite connect on, I want to come maybe unravel that a little bit. I didn't Mm -hmm. connect with the part where you say, you know, being, a well, I think you said it. Okay, it's interesting. I feel like in corporate, you're working in like in the silo, right? Like mm-hmm. this is what you need to do. We need a bunch of subject matter experts. But right now that you're working on a macro level where you're a bird's eye view of your business, you need to manage the people so that they're best at what they do so that they right. can collectively come together yes. um, and, and towards the vision, which is your vision, because now right. it's it's your business, uh, which is fascinating. Um what do you what skill do you think has helped you the most transition because you told me what the 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 obstacle was but where where do you feel you said I know what I need you need to know what you're good at what do you think has been for someone else who's listening who's maybe looking to make that transition what have you identified to be a strength that you can bring to the table in your business Yeah you know I think that for me I would say I am willing to, like, I don't have a problem with getting out there and meeting people Mm. and um, building relationships. I don't have a problem with getting out there, meeting people, building relationships and like seeing where, like, it's so easy for me to see into someone else's business or into someone else's situation and be able to connect the dots in terms of the next things that they need to do. I sometimes it's challenging for me to do the same for myself. Mm. (laughs) Um, And sometimes I can do the same for myself, but where I fall down is that I need to find people who can do it for me. Yes. Because I don't like, I can see that, like, I can see in my mind what I want. It's just that I don't have like the skills to design it, or I don't have, I don't, I don't know how to even do some of those other things. So that's where it gets, um, I think it gets a little bit challenging, uh, but at least I know, and I'm willing to learn. Yes. I would say I'm willing to learn and I'm also open to failing, which is something that you have on your, you know, experiment, fail, learn, repeat, which is the first thing I saw, like, and I pointed it out to you because I was just like, Ooh. <laughs> I think anyone who's thinking about transitioning from corporate America and into entrepreneurship, they have to be people who are willing to be okay with failure and are going to say, you know, what, in the face of failure, like, what did I learn? And like, how can I come back with a different perspective the next time and like to keep going and to see the lessons in in their situation because like many days like every day I'm always failing like there's something that's just not going right and something that's not going yeah something that's not going right and it's like okay well what can I do differently and then I try something else and sometimes it works and then sometimes it doesn't we'll be right back so yeah uh, so uh, a great answer, Lisa. Uh, one of the things that I heard based on your answer is that you really need to be aware of your mm-hmm. of your situation and yourself. 
Uh, with that said, uh, would you, uh, um, do you think that um, everyone who's transitioning into, let's say, their first syndication uh, would need to start from the same point or depending on the, their uh, situation, it might differ um, to start from the same, from, from, from becoming a syndicator? You know, this question is very good question. Very, very, very good question. And it actually ties back to the question you asked me earlier about like, if I, uh, you know, started out in funds, like how did I like for my business, like, you know, here's what I would say to you is you really have to be someone who's willing to take a look at you, like Mm -hmm. internally um, all the time like being willing to like take a step back and say, okay, what am I good at? And like, what are the tools that I have in my toolbox? And how can I use the tools that I have in my toolbox to help other people um, to, or to add value or to serve or, or to provide value to other people? Um, and sometimes I think, and because of that, everyone is going to start at different places. Mm-hmm because different people have different tools. And this is why like, it's not, I, in my opinion, just blanketly looking at someone else and sort of thinking that you're going to follow their footsteps uh, doesn't always work. You can be inspired, but be inspired and then look in your toolbox and see, okay, what could I do that could help me to create a business in the syndication space, knowing what the roles are, and then understanding what you have in your toolbox. Such a good answer. I'm so glad you said you really brought that point home because um, I was hoping you say that. I think sometimes we hope that, oh, let me Google how to become a syndicator, right? And yes, there might be some levels and tiers that you have to, to obviously, and structures, as you mentioned, that you have to put into place. However, um, you know, there's so many different ways to, uh, you know, skin a cat, right? I yes. mean, it's, 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 and, and I think it's really important that we, we look at some, maybe someone who's a super connector and say, oh, I need to do this, but is that, does that best serve you? Is that your genius? Or yeah. do you need to be tapping into another uh, you know, maybe you're more analytical and then you need to partner with someone who loves being out there. Um, and so that's a, that's such a great key takeaway. It's so, it's so interesting because I do find that, you know, as you have these conversations, um, you know, I work with a lot of entrepreneurs. I'm one myself, I've uh, in, been in the corporate world, etc. Yeah. It really does come down to some of the same core principles, uh, you know, awareness, being aware, being able to look in, you know, knowing what you're good at, being able to look yeah. at what others like. I mean, those are that's probably one big pillar that no matter how you say it, maybe you might say it differently. I think it does come to that because you can only operate. Um, you, you can only know where you're going when you know where you're coming from. So mm-hmm. um, that that's huge. So, I, you know, speaking of knowing where you're going, you're very uh, strategic or I would say you find a, a niche um, mm-hmm. in your and who you choose to invest with. You specifically work with busy entrepreneurs and business owners. Mm-hmm. Uh, why, why was that? Coming from the corporate world, when you have all these connections uh, as corporate you know, executives, was that very strategic where you're like, hey, I'm going to build a new bridge here and I'm going to tap into a new community? Or what, why, why specifically that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, 
what I found was I sort of took a look at who was attracted to me hmm. and I sought to make the process easy for me. There is, <laughs> I, I think you need to say that one more time because <laughs> why, why are we, it, this goes back to, I want to piggyback that comment for a second. It goes back to, um, you know, not looking at, oh, this person's doing that. So I'm going to do that. Go with the lowest hanging fruit where do you already have traction. So I'm very right. curious. How do you have all these connections with all these entrepreneurs and business owners? How did that happen? You know, I don't, I can't say that I had a ton of connections with them. Yeah. I just noticed that when I was talking to people, they were sort of the ones who were interested in investing. Um, and they were the ones who had questions and they actually had pain. Like many of them were in a situation where they were paying a lot in taxes yes. and they saw that real estate was a way in which they could invest in a way that wouldn't add to their tax burden. And when I was working with corporate, like the people I was, you know, in the corporate space, I just didn't feel like there was much pain there. Let me just be honest. I really didn't like, it was a nice to have, it was like, oh, it sounds nice to invest in real estate. It's not like, you know what I need to invest because like, um, I'm not trying, like I'm trying to build passive income or whatever, whatever. So, um, and you know, I'm not trying to deal with paying the government more taxes. I would like to, you know, sort of build a, a portfolio that is tax efficient. So that's where I was coming from. And I am still, I'm definitely open to the corporate people for sure. Of course, you know, and I understand where they come from and their struggles and everything. Um, however, I also keep in mind that they're similar to me in the sense that they're typically conservative in nature. Most accountants are conservative in nature. So they will probably have a longer investment horizon as a result and what I mean is from learning about what real estate syndications are to the point at which they feel comfortable deciding to invest. And that's fine. So then you provide them with content and they're able to read the same content that's addressed to business owners and entrepreneurs. And they can take their time and decide, like ask questions um, and come into my network and meet other investors and then, you know, get comfortable enough to make a decision when they're ready. Oh, that's such a good key takeover for business, right? It's not like, hey, I'm passionate in trying to help such and such people invest with me when maybe that avatar isn't seeing the need in your mm -hmm. offer. And I think uh, what you said is so key as entrepreneurs because uh, you need to understand what the marketplace needs. And I love what you said because I'm surrounded in that circle of entrepreneurs and they are the most entrepreneurs I work with have a high volumes of, 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 obviously cash flow and, and, right. and income that they're making. And so it is for them way more of a necessity for them mm -hmm. to figure out a way to preserve uh, or, or save on taxes and preserve uh, their wealth. Um, so that's, that's very interesting. And I'm, I'm so glad again, awareness, right. Coming back yeah. uh, of your marketplace. Uh, it's interesting to use the word a uh, longer, you said that CPAs would have a longer investment horizon. So as in like, they would take longer to, begin investing with you? Is that what you meant? That's what I meant. Like, I feel like there might, it, for some people, it might take a little bit longer before yeah. they make that decision because like, especially people that know me, 
because they have to first um, get used to me being a real estate investor because they've always only ever seen me as an accountant. So it's like, oh, wow, Lisa's a real estate investor. Like they have to get a many touch points before they're like, oh yeah, you know, she is a real estate investor. That's so interesting, <laughs> Lisa. I hear that a lot and I don't even, I my mind rarely goes there, but is that like truly a thing that where you feel uh, people associate you with a certain thing? Because I've, I've switched things many, not many times. I have pivoted in the past and but i've also always heavily been with content as i've done that um but do you really <laughs> think for our listeners that you uh people truly have this identity of like oh this is who you are and because i've heard this now that you're raising capital like wait tony like that guy is raising right like <laughs> like lisa lisa the accountant are you are you truly you've experienced that where people don't even yeah. they forget that this is what you do yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, wow. for sure. You know, but content helps. So pump much. it out, content. Lisa. Pump it out, girl. Don't get content cute. is a game changer. <laughs> content is a game changer because they see all this content and it's like it's almost like people begin to like they now associate brainwashing you, them. Right. So <laughs> they've now moved to oh, they just think real estate and Lisa. Yeah. Yeah, all in you, one you have line. to rewire. That's a, such a good. Uh, t- I didn't even think we'd go there, but that is such a good point about branding. Like that's really yes. what it is. I, I heard uh, a good peer of mine say that uh, branding is what people say when you're not in the room, and marketing right. is how you want people to think of you. So they're two sure. very, two very different things: marketing and branding. Yeah. Um, so that's fascinating. So now Lisa, the real estate investor, um, is is working with entrepreneurs, business owners. Um, can you talk about it a little bit? Cause this is now you're talking to my avatar, our listeners yeah. here, what kind of ways can you truly help someone right now who has a business completely unrelated to real estate? What is the benefit to them at a high level? There are so many, but what would you say is the pain point that you said the marketplace is listening to, to you as the one who is coming to the rescue for these, uh, invest, uh, real estate, uh, I'm sorry, business owners and entrepreneurs. Yeah. So a couple of things. Number one, they also have time stretches. You know, they might real estate isn't their passion. It doesn't need to be their passion, but they're looking for a guide. They're looking for someone who's going to say, hey, listen, real estate is my passion. I want to help provide you with opportunities to invest in real estate, provide you with education to invest in real estate and provide you with community to be amongst other investors to the extent that you want to network. You know, maybe you want to invest with other people in different types of deals, or maybe you just want to be in a community where other people are also investing and be able to, you know, get feedback on like in operators and et cetera, et cetera. So for me, I think that's one of the biggest things. And for me, I feel connected to that. So time, um, they're low on time, but they are at a place in their business where they want to invest because they are making really good money into their business. So they want to understand what real estate syndications are all about. No one wants to be taken for a ride. So they want to be able to be able to look at things at, from an educational point of view and sort of say, hey, like, am I asking the right questions? Am I looking at the right things? What should I be looking at when a deal comes to me? Um, and what if something isn't being provided, what is missing that 
that I haven't considered. So those are some of the things that I seek to help provide with guidance is that I'm looking at this stuff every day. So I can come from a place of saying, you know what, I'm constantly seeing deals. And then I'm able to sort of say, hey, this is what I would recommend looking at. These are some of the questions that I would ask. Um, And then helping people to get clear on what brings them to the party for real estate. Maybe it isn't taxes. Maybe they just want a whole other stream of income, or maybe they're looking for appreciation plays, you know, whatever the case is like being able to provide that resource for them. Um, Also like just like for me, I want when you come into my network and into my community that you're able to get connected to people that you would not have been able to get connected to if you weren't in my community. And I think that goes from investment opportunities to as well as just being able to connect with other people. Um, So that's sort of my approach. And that's what I'm actively building. Well, that's interesting. So this is even beyond the actual investment itself. You're very big on connecting the investors to each other. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because as an investor as well, one of the things when I thought about, like I've invested in five deals to date and I always was like, man, like it would have been really nice to be able to like talk to someone, you know, or like to have other people that I could share this deal with to sort of say, hey, what are some of the things that you would look, look at? What are some of the questions that comes up for you when you look at this deal? Um, and working with people who have experience investing, right? So, and sometimes you're not in those kind of community, like the other people around you are just not interested in that. So you don't, Mm. you're by yourself when you're looking at a deal, you don't have that other, you don't have the network to to say, Hey, to bounce ideas off of. So, yeah. So, so Lisa, that's fascinating because there's, again, we talked, I was just talking about this today, which I find myself repeating myself because I truly believe in my core values. And so I, I'm talking about them all the time. Masterminds, right? I, I yeah. invest heavily into masterminds. If I'm hearing you correctly, and because, and this is so smart because entrepreneurs are big with masterminds, I, I'm a part of many, you know, uh, high, sure. high level, high ticket masterminds where we pay a lot of good money to be surrounded by a lot of high level individuals. And it seems that you're taking that same ecosystem and you're building it underneath the umbrella of your real estate investments, which to them, it's a very similar environment because they're investing in some of their own masterminds. Now they have another one in real estate. Did I get that right? Did I just unfold your formula in the lab? Oh my God. No one's talked about this. This is why we come to the lab. Am I I think you probably uncover a formula that I didn't even realize I was great. <laughs> I know because you're talking to I'm your avatar and so is so are my listeners. So you you uh you are on to something here. I think it's genius uh what you're doing and it's uh it's powerful because you're hundred percent right. There's a lot of people who are creating these relationships, they're just raising capital for multiple people, but then right. those people don't get to connect and the value in the masterminds. I know I'm in coaching groups where coaches will get in their own way and they'll be like, I don't know if I should do this. I'm like there 70% of the value of the mastermind comes from the people that are in the group, not you. Yeah. So what you've done is you've actually, Ooh, this is awesome. You've created a unique selling point over here. This is very interesting. <laughs> I have to tap into this. So fascinating, Lisa, uh, kudos to you, uh, for really, again, understanding yourself, understanding your marketplace, understanding your avatar, understanding who you're serving. Um, mm-hmm. now you just real quickly, just to, to put a bow on this, 
you are, you know, you've actively also, and what I love is, again, you're an embodiment of an experimenter because you, as a practitioner yourself, took the action to become a limited partner, partner then become yeah. a GP and then do it yourself, um, which is really important because that's, the, that's literally why we have the show. It's to experiment, fail, learn, and repeat. And you're able to do that uh, as a true practitioner, not just a listener. Most of the people who listen to this podcast, they're not just listeners or practitioners, experimenters, right? Yeah. So Experiment Nation, taking a note, uh, taking a page from Lisa's book, uh, what would you say is your key takeaway when you, you know, someone who's listening, who's, who's uh, you know, maybe they have a passive business that's really booming and they want to do what you're doing, or they're thinking, you know what, I want to focus on my baby and want to focus on the business and I want to become maybe a limited partner. Would you kindly be able to just tell us the difference between the two? So we understand that you've been on both sides, you know, mm -hmm. who, who is it that you're really probably serving? Is it more, are you more looking for LPs? I'm assuming yourself. And is that pretty much, uh, would you be able to state the reason why someone would want to be an LP versus a GP? Yeah, great question. So yes, I am focused on limited partners right now. Um, I do attract a variety of different people though. Uh, and I, I listen to them and I try to connect people to the extent that I can. Um, so difference between limited partners and general partners. So limited partners, they have no other responsibility other than upfront you know, doing their research, making sure that the deal is the right kind of deal for them. Super important. After you've determined that the deal is the right type of deal for you, you've asked your questions, you feel comfortable with that deal, then you then invest. Um, and then connected to that, now after you're done investing, you do not have any further responsibilities. You know, now it's the general partner team that is responsible for executing on the business plan and bringing it to fruition and providing you with, you know, quarterly updates in terms of the, the investment. So your PL, your profit and loss, as well as the rent roll, and then monthly updates on the property, and then ultimately sending out distributions. So general partner role, definitely more involved, you know, more responsibilities in terms of things that you need to be doing. So it's building a, other, a whole other business. So if you are an entrepreneur and you already have a business and you or have multiple businesses, you need to just think about whether this is an additional business that you want to add. And on top of that, you want to be clear on what role you want to play. Mm -hmm. So more important than anything else, syndication typically has four roles. You're either focused on acquisition, underwriting, asset management or investor relations. Each role is a full-time gig, most likely, um, especially when you are on a team that is running robustly. So acquisitions people are always out there looking for new deals, building relationships with brokers, visiting the markets, really understanding what their markets are. Underwriters, they're supposed to be underwriting those deals quickly so that way they can get back to the asset managers. I mean, sorry, get back to the acquisition team so that way they can then give information to the broker or the owner of the asset to say, yes, we like it. No, we don't. Here are the reasons why. Um, asset management, once you start acquiring deals, you then, like, if you are the asset manager and the acquisitions, then you're going to get to a place where you're a bottleneck. So you're going to need to have an asset manager who's responsible for executing on your business plan and making sure that the asset is performing as it should. 
And then lastly is investor relations. So they're focused on making sure that you always have money to buy your deal. Otherwise, you can be in a situation where you don't have any money and you can't purchase, you can't close on the deal that you've worked so hard to find. Wow. You, this is probably one of the best breakdowns I've heard. I love how you really broke it down for someone who may not be familiar. Uh, and obviously, uh, when you are good at what you do, you're able to um, explain it at a very, uh, yeah. very simple level. So we appreciate that question for you based on what you previously told us. Now you said as a limited partner, if I'm investing with you, you know, I do the upfront mm-hmm. work, uh, and then I'm, you know, I can focus on my businesses, keep right. hands off, let you handle your thing, uh, handle your business along with your team, the four pillars, which you just talked sure. about. Uh, now, is this where you've kind of incorporated this level of also mastermind from the limited partners perspective? Is that what you've done? Just so we're clear? Yeah. So okay. essentially what is currently in progress <laughs> is, you know, being able, I want to be able to create a community where, because the reality is like, I'm constantly meeting many, many operators and I like to be able to build relationships with mm. different operators. Um, And for me, being able to create a community that is interested in investing in real estate, one, you're getting education, two, you're getting exposure to operators that you just don't have the time capacity or, um, you know, yeah, you don't have time capacity to be looking for all these people networking, building relationships with them, doing due diligence on them. So like for me, I would love to be in a position where I continue to get to network, meet operators, do due diligence on them and be able to like provide like my findings in terms of what I have found. And then also being able to bring them to my community because that's what I like to do. I like to be able to interview people um, and sort of bring them to my community so people can then ask them questions, learn about them, and then ultimately determine whether they want to invest with them or not. And then embedded in that is indeed, you know, being able to meet other investors. Like from that, you can like everything from investing to building businesses to just creating new connections. I just think that the sky's the limit in terms of what can take go on from there. So, yeah. Oh, that's that's fascinating. So as far as where you spend most of your time, uh, you talk about acquisitions, underwriter, asset manager, investor, relations, uh, which pillar do you find yourself? Spending so I am in the pillar of investor relations like 90% of the time. Mm, very yeah. interesting. Very yeah. interesting. And right now, if you were to have somebody uh, come in who's qualified as capital, et cetera, which one of those pillars do you feel you may need? If someone's out here listening and, and, and seeing the movement and, and what uh, you know, you're, you're able to bring to the table and how refreshing this model is and obviously how personal and because it is about the team, which pillar would you be looking to add someone in right now currently in your business as we're recording this in uh, Q4 of 2021? Yeah, so two things. One, I'm always building relationships with other operators, always, um, because I think it's very important for me to like always be able to have good connections with good operators who can Mm. perform on their deals. So that's that part. And then when I think about my business, wow. Um, I think that, you know, good systems, people. Ah, (laughs) Bringing it full circle. 
Bringing it full circle. Good systems, people. Good mm. systems, people. That's awesome. Um, yeah, because I need help in that area. Like, I will come up with all these different ideas and things that I want to do. And like, when it comes to connecting and meeting people, yeah. no problem. Yes. Um, however, like, just you know, having good partners that can help me and building out systems and stuff like that is really important repurposing all my content which we were talking about before this too so like who would do such a thing (laughs) who would do such a thing because i create tons of content but yeah so this is even so it's interesting because your their content they're creating is for the business so you're still looking at that as assist uh, systems within the investor relations or even at the entire uh you you know when you say that are you specifically talking about investor relations um the content itself oh not not even so much content you did mention the word systems you need systems in your business Ah, that could be yeah yeah so yeah so systems wow like oh my goodness like everywhere like Mm. um yeah because everything that you're trying to create is better when it's systematized in my opinion no 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 this is this is a fact (laughs) i co-signed that (laughs) So there you go. It's don't, it's don't, just even, don't, don't even talk yourself out of it. If you're listening, it is a must. Any business that is operating at scale uh, and, and, and doing and having a true impact in the marketplace is relies on a system. Yes. hundred percent. Success is so, a system. So, yeah, um, I think for me to get to the next, um, rung of my business next chapter i'm yeah. going to need to build teams and yes. also systems for sure yeah. Yeah. So, yeah wow talk about bringing it full circle so <laughs> so first of all we'll definitely have to you know circle back with you because you're in a, such a you know you're an upward trajectory and i can't wait to see you know your continuous growth uh and if someone wants to be a part of that ride uh you know where can you know besides uh, uh um Besides LisaHilton.com, uh, where can people tune in and, and tap into your world a little bit more uh, to find out what you're doing? Yes. So definitely, as you said, um, LisaHilton.com is the main site. Um, you can go there right on my front page. I actually have a free ebook on the beginner's guide to real estate syndications. So you can go on there, sign up for it real quick and be able to learn a little bit more about real estate syndications and how they work. Um, And then in terms of what I am currently creating, I also do have a Facebook group, which I, it's like, it's a group of people who are just interested in what I'm doing and like want to follow along in my journey. Um, and I'll also provide you with the link to that because um, the name is the Level Up um, Passive Investor Facebook group. But Lovely. I'll probably need to give you the link separately for that. Oh, we'll include so, yeah. that definitely. And if you're driving, keep your hands on the wheel. We'll include that in the show <laughs> notes. That's for sure. But Lisa, I can't thank you enough for not only being able to give us like real clarity. I think it's really important for Experiment Nation to hear how, you know, experiments can be done and executed um, uh, 
you know, efficiently, effectively, and then right. taking something from their own world and bringing it into their world so that they can be a practitioner like yourself and well-rounded practitioner who then can also help other entrepreneurs and business owners like you've done yourself. So uh, I want to give you a big thanks for coming to the lab, sharing that with us, and we'll be sure to have our community tap in. And just like that, we are out. If you're a real estate professional, a real estate agent, a real estate investor, a lender, a multifamily syndicator, a contractor, you name it, and you're looking to grow your online presence, but you have no idea how to get started or simply don't have the time, at Invested Talent, we help real estate professionals extend their current business to social media. Why is this important? Without this, you wouldn't be listening to this show and your own host, Ruben Kanya, and his team would not have done deals they've done today. As a matter of fact, Social media has helped us keep this show together, which now exceeds a billion dollars worth of real estate from our guests collectively. That's right. Our reputation, opportunities, partnerships, and most importantly, real estate transactions were started directly from social media. If you're a real estate professional and you lack an existence on a media platform, Invested Talent can help. Simply go to investedtalent.com forward slash social media and make sure you click the get in touch button to get in touch with our team. Again, that's investedtalent.com forward slash social media and get in touch with our team. You focus on being the brand and we'll help you build it. Now, if you know anything about the lab, you know that we like to give practical advice. So if you feel that this podcast was of any value to you, please be sure to leave us a review on iTunes by going directly to the podcast app from the show's page. Scroll all the way down and leave us a review. If you're watching this on YouTube, please subscribe by clicking the subscribe button and leave us a comment. Lastly, and most importantly, share this episode with a friend you feel will benefit this episode the most. Remember, There's a you and I in build. Let's build, y'all.